Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. We're going to be looking for a second week, and there'll be at least one more, where we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, where I'm going to be working through another aspect of this text, and today I want to be talking about equipped for spiritual warfare. Last week we looked at the reality of spiritual warfare. I'm going to review that in just a minute, but today we're going to be looking at being equipped for spiritual warfare. So I'm going to begin by just reading this whole passage, Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, using the New International Version. It'll be up here on the screen. It's also on the cards you got this morning, and you can follow along in your Bible as well. So hear now the words of the holy, sovereign God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. A uh, month or two ago, I saw an interview with our new Secretary of Defense, uh, who is a prior Marine, so he was near and dear to my heart, uh, General Mattis. And in the question and answer period, he was asked by the reporter all Uh, all the threats in the world around you right now, who is it that keeps you awake at night? Without hesitation, General Mattis looked directly at the reporter and said, nobody keeps me awake at night, I keep them awake at night. (laughs) And that's a good Marine saying, and he's got many other very colorful ones from his time in the Middle East, but what I want you to understand is, he's not making a braggadocio claim. What General Mattis is saying is, I've spent my entire life, he's a single man, he never has watched TV, he has spent his entire life studying warfare. And he's not sitting there making an empty claim, he's saying, I have studied, I know who I am, I know who the troops I lead are, I know how we are equipped, and I know when we go into battle, there is no question what the outcome will be. So I sleep easy at night. My enemies, however, have good cause to be awake. General Mattis has confidence 
because he knows he's equipped to do his job, which is to lead us in war. Now, the question for you and I, because we're not engaged in that physical war, we're engaged in a spiritual war. So the question is, are we similarly equipped? And if so, how are we equipped? What does it mean for a Christian to be equipped for spiritual warfare? Now, let me review to begin with, understanding spiritual warfare. And I want to plead with you, if you are a member of this congregation and you were not here last week, and probably even if you were, I want you to please download last week's teaching and listen to it and re-listen to it, okay? Because I want you to understand the reality of spiritual warfare, and most of us do not. Most of us live as if spiritual warfare is not a reality. But I'm going to briefly review just four points from last week's teaching to kind of set where we're at as we head in. Number one in understanding spiritual warfare is spiritual warfare is Satan's ongoing war against God, his purposes, and his people. And every church is part of this warfare. Okay, I said last week, there is no spiritual Switzerland. Switzerland was the, the country right there in the middle of Europe that when World War II raged, they somehow managed to remain neutral. There is no spiritual Switzerland. You are engaged in spiritual warfare. So am I. So is this congregation. So is every church. The only question is whether we're going to be victorious or whether we're going to get our clocks cleaned. That leads to point two. This is not just a metaphor. Spiritual warfare is not a metaphor. There is a real spiritual conflict which affects every believer in local church. And what I mean by it's not a metaphor is we think Paul wanted to describe the Christian life and he looked around and said, well, there's warfare in the world and this is kind of like that. That's backwards. The spiritual warfare of which we are a part started before human beings even existed. So it can't be the metaphor based on the reality of human warfare. Rather, it's the reality. And human warfare is nothing but a distortion of that actual warfare. So it's not the lesser reality. It is the reality of which all other conflict is simply a shadow and a distortion. Thirdly, because of that, it is disastrous for Christians to live like practical atheists. They believe the gospel. They will give verbal assent to the gospel, but then trying to handle spiritual attacks with worldly, fleshly weapons. It, to be a practical atheist means when I have, and I spoke about this last week, there's conflict in my marriage. There is trouble with uh, places at work or I'm struggling with sin in my life. And then when you ask how I deal with those things, I deal with them like my unbelieving neighbor would. Because I'm living then like a practical atheist. Because we do not deal with struggles the same way. And if we do, it's a disaster. Fourth, and finally, we must engage in this warfare as individuals, as families, and with other believers. You can't engage in it with an unbeliever because they're on the opposite side of the conflict. So they are of no help in this conflict. But as individuals, as families, and with other believers here in a local church, we have to engage in this conflict together. 
So that's what spiritual warfare is, and I wanted to remind us of that. So the question then becomes, if you and I are asked, are you awake at night? Is there fear in your heart because of those realities I've listed right there? Or can you, like General Mattis, look and say, no, I'm not in fear because I know how I'm equipped. And I am equipped and ready for warfare. That's what we want to talk about. So equipped for spiritual warfare. The first thing we understand in being equipped for spiritual warfare is that our strength for spiritual warfare comes from God. Don't misunderstand me using the thing of general mass. This is not about, well, the devil fears because of me. No, he does not. He does not fear you, and he does not fear me, okay? Who he does fear is Yahweh. Who he does fear is Jesus. And so Paul begins this section on spiritual warfare in verse 10 and says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is spiritual warfare. It does not matter how many push-ups you do. That's not going to prepare you for this. It does not matter how much training you do with a gun. It will not prepare you for this. It is spiritual warfare, and you need spiritual strength. And so do I. And our strength for spiritual warfare is found in the Lord. There is no way to be spiritually strong and prepared for spiritual warfare apart from a vibrant, consistent, close walk with Jesus. Let me repeat that. There is no way to be spiritually strong and prepared for spiritual warfare apart from a vibrant, consistent, close walk with Jesus. The one who is walking with Jesus and walking with him closely and daily drawing upon his strength can be like General Madison say, I need not fear. What can man do to me? But one who is going out in their own strength. It's like Israel when they invaded the promised land and Yahweh had told them not to go fight up against after the battle of Ai and they tried to go anyway. And they discovered they had no strength to stand. Our strength comes from Jesus. And what this means is because spiritual warfare is an ever-present possibility, the time to prepare is now. We prepare for tomorrow's war by walking with Jesus today. We used to have a saying when I was at the Naval Academy, and we said it in the Marine Corps as well, better to sweat in peace than bleed in war. What that meant was get ready now, because you never know when war's going to start. Most of the people that in my class from the academy that were still in, the major conflict that defined who they were and what they were involved in was everything that happened after 9-11. On 9-10, nobody thought it was coming. Nobody. And the time to have prepared was before that. Well, the same way, we prepare for spiritual warfare now. We get ready now, because we realize those things I said a couple of minutes ago are true. They are reality. And so wisdom says, I'm going to be ready. And how I get ready is I walk close with Jesus day by day by day. 
I am in him. I am drawing strength from him. I am growing closer to him. And then when the enemy comes with his attacks, I'm not foundering around and trying to figure out how do I, where's my Bible at? What, what's it like to pray? We're, we're in trouble at that point. Now, if we're part of a body of believers, they'll gather around us and they'll help us while we build ourselves up. But there is no way to be equipped for spiritual warfare apart from that close, consistent, vibrant walk with Jesus. Nothing else. Right there, that's a full stop. Apart from that, you can study this, you can read every book, you can know every principle, you, you could leave me in the dust in your knowledge. And if you don't have a close, consistent, vibrant walk with Jesus, it means nothing. Nothing. Secondly, God has given us spiritual armor to equip us for spiritual warfare. So we draw our strength from God, but God has also given us spiritual armor. Notice in verses 11 to 13, Paul twice says, put on the full armor of God. And the, the Greek word there is panoplia, from which we get panoply, which means, you know, a full orb, everything you would need. Well, that comes from actually this this word, it meant the full armor, all the pieces of armor you've got. But notice what Paul says is, we twice are told to put on the armor of God, but he gives us the reason. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual struggle. So you put on the armor of God so that you can fight against the devil. Because the reason you need this is because it's a spiritual war, not a fleshly war. So all your fleshly weapons do nothing. In fact, I'll be so bold as to say they only make the issue worse because you're using the wrong weapons for the conflict and you'll put your confidence in them and they won't work. They will not work. And he concludes then, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you can stand your ground. So we're going to come in the coming weeks to this, this idea of standing, which Paul uses that verb four times. It's the dominant verb in the passage. But he says, if you're going to stand, you got to put on the full armor of God. you got to know you're equipped. And you have to understand that equipment. So we do not need to fear. Please hear me in this today. We need not fear spiritual warfare because God has equipped us with armor for our war. We're not, we're not making a bold, empty boast. We know the armor we have is given by God, and our armor is better than their armor. I, I watched a, a, just a little video clip a, a while back. I was with a couple of the grandsons, and we were watching something, and I didn't realize this, but they had an F-15 stealth fighter go out against five, I mean, an F-22 stealth fighter go out against five F-15s. Now, back when I was a young guy in the military, the F-15 was the premier fighter in the world. One F-22, five F-15s. Not only did the one F-22 shoot down all five F-15s, the guy said it was like shooting fish in a bucket. The F-15 pilot said, we didn't even know that he was there until we were notified we were dead. We couldn't see him. He could fire at us from before we knew he was there. It was over. 
he had, so the pilot said, I would absolutely go into any battle with complete confidence because they can't beat me if they don't know where I am and I know where they are and I'm just shooting them down one by one. The point you and I need to grasp, and I want you to hear this today, is you have the best armor there is because it's the armor of God and it is his gift to you as a believer. So you need not worry and fear over this battle. What we need to do is understand our armor and be equipped with our armor. So how are we equipped with the armor of God? Now, as we jump into the armor, let me give one warning. We could spend a lot of time trying to press the analogies too far. Well, why is truth the belt? What does it mean specifically about truth and how does that relate to everything else? And that's not the way we ought to understand this passage. Now, let me show you why we should not understand it this way. I'm going to put up three passages right now, all of which deal with spiritual armor and all of which list different virtues for different pieces of armor. So here in Ephesians 6, 14, the first two pieces we're told are stand firm with the belt of truth and with the breastplate of righteousness. And some people want to say, well, why is truth the belt and spend a bunch of time doing that? And why is righteousness the breastplate? Well, here's the problem with that. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, I'm told faith and love are the breastplate, not righteousness. And in Isaiah 11:5, 5, I'm told righteousness is the belt. So don't spend your time on that. You're pressing the analogy too far. We're going to see what the armor means here in a moment, but the secret is not in writing 500 pages about why truth is the belt and how that fits and works with all this. It's a metaphor. This is a metaphor. And that means it's good to help us understand the picture. And the picture is you've been equipped. So what is the equipment? Well, the first thing we need to understand is the armor is the armor of God. Again, verse 11 and 13, put on the full armor of God. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God. So this is armor that is provided by God, not by us. You're not being asked, go out and equip yourself for warfare. That's what like our militias had to do back in the Revolutionary War, right? Show up with your hunting rifle, okay? You're not sent into spiritual warfare that way. God is saying, I'm going to graciously provide you the armor you need. It is God's armor. This relates back to verse 10, be strong in the Lord, be mighty in God's power and might. We cannot do spiritual warfare in our own strength, nor by using our own abilities. We find our strength and our resources in God. That's that first point I made, and also going back to last week, I can't stress it enough. One of the biggest problems in the church is we try to do spiritual warfare with fleshly weapons. Does not work. We have an entire industry of it in the church in America. Okay? Second, uh, or the, the, the next part of this about it being the armor of God is this is the armor God himself wore in battle. In other words, it could be just armor God provided, armor of God, or it could be that it is God's own armor that he gives to us. What I'm maintaining and telling you is what it means is this is God's own armor that he gives to us, that he has worn in battle. Now, why do I say that? Paul is clearly drawing upon Isaiah 59, primarily in this passage. 
And I'm going to put this passage up and look at it, and you'll see why I say he's drawing upon it. In this passage, Yahweh, this is in, in the, the, uh, at the end of the servant songs and all of that in Isaiah's passage, and he's looking to the future. And he says, starting in verse 14, or 15 of Isaiah 59, the Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. And he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. There was no warrior to rescue his people. So his own arm worked salvation for him. And his righteousness sustained him because who else's righteousness could possibly sustain the Lord? And then in verse 17, he put on righteousness as his blessed plate and the helmet of salvation on his head. Does that sound familiar? That's the pieces that Paul lists here, not the ones in Isaiah 11 or the ones he used in 1 Thessalonians 5. He's clearly drawing on this passage. He says, he put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Isaiah is telling us that in this thing of rescuing his people, God himself put on armor. Now, obviously, there's a metaphor that's going on there because God is not like you and I, that he wears physical armor. But notice, the armor is the same armor that Paul lists in Ephesians 6. And so the point being made is we're given not just some secondary offhand thing, we're given the very armor of God. And this is important for us to understand when we talk about what this armor is. Because the armor is first and foremost what we are given in Christ through the gospel. This is, this is what arms you and I for warfare, is what you have been given in Christ through the gospel. So no Christian can say, I'm not equipped for warfare. If you are in Christ, if you have embraced the gospel, you have been given God's own armor. And there is no one you will meet in battle who will be better equipped. Because this is what you've been given by God. Paul here tells us in Ephesians 6, when we start looking at the armor in verses 14 to 17, he lists a bunch of pieces. He tells us that there's truth, there's righteousness, there's readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. There's faith. There's salvation. There's the word of God. Now, the question that comes up and the commentators want to deal with is, is this my truth and my righteousness or is it God's righteousness? And before you would answer that too quickly, it would go on to say, well, what about faith? Is it the strength of my faith that is in view? Or is it my grasp of the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints that is in view? Now, I will tell you that many commentators will teach that the righteousness that is in view here is me walking in holiness and not walking in sin. And that is certainly important. And even a commentator that I would generally really want to agree with, John Calvin, says that. But I'm going to tell you I disagree with them. Because... I believe that what is in view here, the primary focus is on God and the gifts he gives us in the gospel. Truth and righteousness and the readiness of the gospel of peace, salvation, God's word of promise, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Now, why do I say that? Well, as I've already pointed out, what armor are we putting on? Is it my armor or is it God's armor? It's God's armor. 
We've already seen in Isaiah 59, the Lord marched out to battle and we're told he put on this armor and we're told he, he had his own righteousness that he put on because what good would it do Yahweh in battle to have the righteousness of Brett? That would be some pretty skimpy armor, let me tell you. Okay? And don't laugh too much because yours would be pretty skimpy too. Okay? It's the armor of God. He wore his own righteousness. And the point is, you're given the righteousness of Christ in the gospel. It's not your righteousness that stands there to protect you against the attacks of the enemy. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who in every word, every thought, every deed was obedient to the Father, kept the law of God perfectly, and then not only takes your sin away, but puts that righteousness on you and says, it is my perfect righteousness. And it is yours. Not because you reach some uh, advanced stage in the Christian life. It is yours at the moment of salvation. Clearly, when you look down, obviously in the passage, when we come down and we say, we'll put on the helmet of salvation, no commentator can say, well, that's my salvation. They all recognize, well, no, that's the salvation God gives. And the sword of the Spirit is, is that my word? Well, no, that part's the word of God. Well, why do we think the last couple of pieces of armor are somehow God's, but the first few pieces are mine? They're not. It's what God gives me in the gospel. The same is true of everything else. And so, the, and right there in the center, the middle piece is the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And the gospel is the message of our salvation, the message of our deliverance, the message of God's victory in our behalf. Paul here is alluding to another passage there late in Isaiah, Isaiah 52, 7, where Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who bring the gospel, who proclaim what? Peace. Who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say, your God reigns. Israel, you are in the middle of warfare. Everything seems lost, but there is a messenger who comes, and what the messenger proclaims is not what you will do, but what God has done. Not what you're going to accomplish, but what is given to you by Yahweh. That's what the messenger proclaims. This is the gospel. And so when you and I are doing warfare against Satan's accusations, against his temptations, against him trying to pull us off into sin, what I need is God's truth. What I need is God's righteousness. I need the riches of the gospel. I need not my faith, but the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. I need not my word of promise, but God's word of promise. I need not my salvation, but God's salvation given to me in Christ. And the fact is, I've been given every one of those things in Jesus Christ. They are my inheritance in the gospel. And it is nothing I work out. That pilot that flew that F-22, and about he didn't design that F-22. He didn't create its armaments. He didn't build it. He just got to fly that sucker into battle. Okay? And all the armor you are given is God's gift to you. All of it is God's gift to you. Now, this goes even further because I want you to notice one last point, and this is critical. 
The battle that we are fighting is fought where, according to Paul in this passage? In the heavenly realms. The word heavenly realms, or it's actually just the heavenlies, that word is used three, four, five times in Ephesians. I'm going to show you all five times. So in Ephesians 6.12, in our passage, to remind ourselves, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So your battle is not with your neighbors. It's not with your spouse. It's not with your co-workers. Not with the guy who was a jerk when he cut you off in traffic. Not with your brothers and sisters in the church. Your battle is in the heavenly realms. Now, why does Paul say that? This is right here at the end of the letter. Well, Paul opened the letter. After his initial greeting, he opens with this prayer. And what does he tell us in Ephesians 1.3? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in where? The heavenly realms where our battle is going to be with a couple of blessings to get you going. The rest of them you're going to have to earn. Is that what he says? How many blessings? Every. Somebody work with me. What do you think the Greek word means there? All. Every. If there's a blessing God's got, you were given it in Christ. In the heavenly realms. And Paul goes on in this and says, and I want you to understand this, this, this began when God chose you before the world had even been created. Adam hadn't even messed this whole sucker up. And God already had this plan for you. And it was his gift to you by his choice. Paul then goes on in verse 20 of chapter 1, and he's speaking of the power of God. He wants us, he's praying that we would understand the power of God. And he says, this power was that which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, where? In the heavenly realms. So, where our battle is going, and where in fact we've been given every blessing God has, who is there in that place? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Jesus Christ victorious. Because what does it mean when battle rages and you say, I am so confident, I'm not even going to stand, I'm just going to take a seat. How is that for going into battle? I mean, General Mattis has got nothing. Jesus says, not only do I sleep well at night, I'll sleep as we go into battle. I'm so confident. I've already won. I've already been raised from the dead. You gave me your best shot, and it did nothing. I am raised, and I am seated above you. But it gets better. The next time the passage is used in Ephesians 2, where you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead, not sick. Dead. And so was I. And in verse 5, Paul says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us where? In the heavenly realms. Same place Jesus is, same place the battle is, and you're seated. Because what God has given you will overcome. And then Paul says one more time, he brings it up. Ephesians 3.10. And he says his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God 
would be made known to the rulers and authorities, where? In the heavenly realms. God is saying, I have exalted Jesus to my right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rules and powers. And he has raised us and he has seated us with Jesus in the heavenly realms. And he says, I have given you every blessing that I have in Jesus Christ in the heavenly realms, including I have equipped you with all the armor you need for battle. And when we take up his armor and do spiritual warfare, God says, I will display my wisdom to my enemies, to the forces of evil, through the church, as I vanquish them through Christ and my people. This is spiritual warfare, and it is the privilege of every believer in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That's the battle you and I fight, and that's where we are prepared. Now, I'm saying this because I want to encourage you. We can sit here, and again, we can, we can be like that analogy I used last week, and we feel like there's an ambush coming, and we want to run. Deadly wrong thing. And the reason we do that is because we are not confident of what God has done for us in Christ. And we turn to the wrong resources. Now, do we have anything we're called to do? As I said, next week we're going to see we're, we're given the verb stand four times. We're going to talk about that. But there is something we do even relative to the armor. We're not told to form it or fashion it or improve upon it. We are told to take it up. Notice in verses 11 to 17, I'm going to use the English Standard Version here because they were a little more literal in this so I can pull out the verbs for you to see. There's a whole series of verbs that are used. And again, the main verb is stand four times. It's very easy to figure out what we're being told to do. We'll talk about how that works. But notice here, we're told in verse 11, put on the armor of God. In verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. In verse 14, fasten on the belt. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15, having put on the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Verse 16, taking up the shield of faith. Verse 17, taking the helmet of salvation. And several times those verbs take up is also the same Greek word for receive. Because the point is God's giving it, take it, receive it accept what it is that God is giving to you and me. And so the commands here are that God has given us armor by grace. By grace. But we take it up and we put it on. And how do we do that? This is right back to Jer's sermon from a few weeks ago. You take up and you put on the armor by preaching the gospel to yourself every single day by reminding yourself of who you are in Christ, what you've been given in Christ, not giving in to the thoughts and the ways of the enemy, not giving in to this world's ideas of what is sin and what is righteousness, but rather receiving the gospel day by day by day. And so as we daily walk with God, preaching the gospel to ourselves, drawing strength from Him, we become equipped for warfare, clothed in the armor of God, able to uh, withstand Satan's fiery arrows of accusation, temptation, 
assault, and even able to help other people withstand them as well. This is the call, and it is the gift of God to every one of his children. If you could see yourself as the enemy would see you, you would marvel, and so would I. Not because of something in you, but because of something in Christ and what God has done for us. So how do we apply this? And we'll come to the table. The first thing is not even a question this morning. It's the central point I want to make. I want you to be encouraged regarding spiritual warfare. This is not something for us to shrink back, be afraid of. We are engaged in spiritual warfare. It's the call of God for every believer in church. We should not fear or be discouraged because the battle belongs to the Lord. And he is mighty and the conflict is, the outcome of the conflict is not in doubt. Okay, it is not in doubt. We are in the position that Joshua was when he stood on the edge of the promised land. And you remember the Lord came to him in Joshua 1.9 and said this, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord God will be with you wherever you go. Does that promise that I'll be with you wherever you go sound familiar? Is that not what Jesus said to the church as he ascended to be seated in the heavenly realms at the right hand of God? I'll be with you no matter where you go. You need not fear. And so God says to you and to me as we consider this, be strong, be courageous. Not because that's naturally who you are, but because I am with you. And if I am with you, if the Spirit of the Lord is with you, you may be David standing out there naked and Goliath may stand there in all of his might and all of his power, and wearing all of his armor, and none of it makes any difference. As Luther put it in the hymn, one little word shall fell him. So I want to encourage you, God has equipped us with everything needed for battle, and he goes with us into battle. The one place we can run, so to speak, where God is not, is if we run from the battle. As long as we're running to the battle, he is with us. Now, the second thing I want to bring out is this question of am I equipped for spiritual warfare? And the obvious point is, first off, the only way to be equipped is to be in Christ. God doesn't have a second set of armor that's almost as good that you get outside of Jesus. There's only one set of armor, okay? I was actually a supply officer in the Marine Corps. When guys would go out to the field or they'd go on deployment, they would come down and we had all the equipment they needed ready to give them. And all you had to be was be a Marine in our unit that was going on deployment. And you were given all of it. I didn't say, well, I don't like you, so I give you something else. And there was no other way to get it. If you just wandered in off the street, I wasn't giving you anything. Well, Jesus stands there and says, if you are in me, you are given all my armor. And it's the best armor. It's the armor I myself have worn. It is that armor that is given to you. So the only question is, am I in Christ? If I am not in Christ, I am unarmed. 
and I am easy pickings. If I am in Christ, I have all the armor I need. So if you're not in Christ, obviously I urge and I plead with you. In line with this, you have no resources on your own. Your righteousness will not sustain you in war. Your righteousness will certainly not sustain you before the very throne of God. But the righteousness of Jesus Christ is more than sufficient. Do we know him? Look to him in faith. If you are a believer, let me ask a couple of questions. Reminder, as a believer, we've got every resource. It is there. The armor is all around us. It has all been given to us. So the question is, am I taking up that armor? And here's how that's done. First, am I growing strong in God? Or is my walk withering? You can't take up the armor of God if you, apart from Jesus. The armor is in Christ. And I can't be distant from him and expect to be fully arrayed in the armor. Am I growing strong in God? And friends, I've said this before, we of all people, we have no excuse not to. Tomorrow, many of us are going to get in cars and go to work, and you can listen to the word of God while you drive. It's so easy to do. It's there. We can put on praise and worship music and worship while we drive. We can do it while we're sitting home doing the dishes, whatever, whenever. First thing I do in the morning, tomorrow morning it's going to be Psalm 20. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to let Psalm 20 be there to guide me as it's going to tell me that may God be with you and, and may he answer when you are in distress. And I'm going to pray that prayer. It's right there. It is so easy. There's only one reason I don't do it. I don't want to do it. I just don't think it's that important. Am I growing strong in my walk with God? turn the question a little bit because what that means is am I taking in God's word and talking with him daily there's no growing strong in Jesus apart from regular steady intake of the scripture and regular steady talking with him about everything in life I'm having this problem at work are you talking to Jesus about it or everybody else I'm having this problem with somebody that used to be my friend and now there's conflict here. Are you talking to Jesus about it or are you getting advice from a pagan for how to do spiritual warfare? Because it's not going to work. That leads to the, the next point. Am I walking closely with other believers who will speak the gospel to me regularly and help me find strength in God? You remember when David was discouraged in the cave? And he was there and he was struggling. And it says Jonathan came to him and helped him find strength in God. That's what you need and that's what I need. David did not need a pagan. He did not need somebody who didn't worship Yahweh. He needed somebody who was going to come to him and say, 
Yahweh is here. Exactly what Jonathan said. Yahweh has given you promises. He has said you will be the king. David, I know it looks grim. I know you were in the cave. I know my dad has got a much larger army and he is after you and it all seems lost, but I was there. I know Yahweh gave you the promise and God will fulfill his word. Hang in, David. Hold on. Who does that for you? Who helps you to do when, when, you are, when you are losing your grip and you are losing the word of God and you are losing the truth and, and you're, you're struggling to hold on to that faith once for all delivered to the saints, who is there to point you towards that? Or are the people who are there, in fact, encouraging me in lies and encouraging me in my own strength? And not speaking the word of God, but speaking their own foolish ideas. And then I wonder how things keep getting worse and worse. It's really not a mystery. So am I doing that? How is that working? Am I preaching the gospel to myself daily? Daily, daily. Do do I remind myself, as we've been in a season of spiritual warfare here, I have to tell you, my experience back during uh, the time of Lent, running up to Easter, when we were doing the seven weeks of prayer, and we were looking at those letters in Revelation, I can't tell you the number of times I woke up on Monday morning discouraged, Monday morning doubting, Monday morning feeling like throwing in the towel, and then I get into the Word of God, And I start repeating what God has said. And then by the end of the day, I'm not discouraged, I'm encouraged. And I'm not throwing in the towel, I'm looking for a demon to kick his backside. And that doesn't come by me just working it up and I came up with a new strategy. That comes by getting in the gospel and hearing who I am in Christ and being reminded and encouraged of that. Are you preaching the gospel to yourself every day? You will not be ready for spiritual warfare if you do not, nor will I. Last part of this question, then we'll come to the table. When Satan attacks, do I turn to the gospel and the word of God or to my own resources? Now, don't quickly pass by that. Because when problems arise, Here's what your temptation is, and I know it is because it's my temptation. I'm pretty smart. Here's what I think. I don't really care what you think. What I care is what the Word of God says. That's what matters. What you think don't matter jack squat, nor what I think. What matters is what God says. That is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. And that's a very true verse. Because every man out there is a liar. They will pull us away. Am I, where am I turning? Do I turn to prayer? Or do I try and work it on my own? Which resources do we have? And I want to tell you, this is where it goes back to that question of being a practical atheist. We struggle with that, friends. I get in the battle, and I drop the armor I've been given, 
and I rush out to fight hell with a water pistol. And it doesn't work. It does not work. So which have I done? Now what we're going to do is we're going to come to the table because at this table we commune with God and we receive strength. And I want to remind you, here's the good news. If you are in warfare right now, and you tell me in some of the areas we've talked about, man, my family is under it right now. Or I am under it with this person. Uh, this relationship is strained. Or I am under it in my health. I can sense the enemy is attacking. Here's the really good news. You remember in Psalm 23, David says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of I can sit and I can eat and they can't do anything except rage and anger while Jesus keeps them on a tight leash. That's what we do at this table. Jesus is here. He's here to meet us as we come to the table. And so I want to encourage you, what you need is strength from God. And here we're going to hear and we're going to receive the gospel anew and we are going to be strengthened for battle. And so this morning I encourage you, come and receive strength from God. It's his gift to you. For what I receive from the Lord Jesus, I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that all of your sins may be forgiven. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, as we come to the table this morning, we are reminded of our insufficiency, but your great sufficiency. We are reminded, oh sovereign God, that we who have so often sided with your enemies are invited to your table where we can sit and we can eat and we can be nourished and strengthened, and our enemies can't do anything to prevent that. Holy Spirit, I pray you would feed your people this morning, that you would renew our strength so that we would be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And I ask that you would do this because of Jesus and his work in our behalf. Amen. As you get the elements, please hold on to them. And I want to encourage you to meditate on the gospel. Jesus broken, Jesus given for you. And then let's receive from the Lord. We'll take it together in a couple moments. Lord, as we come to this table this morning and we take this bread, the bread which symbolizes and attaches us to the broken body of Jesus Christ. 
we are reminded that the reason he was broken was because of our sin and our rebellion. Lord, our initial loyalty in this fight, in this war, was firmly on the side of your enemy. Lord, we were sinners at birth and sinners by choice day after day after that. And yet, Lord, Lord, your love for us was so great and so deep that you sent your Son and that he was broken that we might be healed. And because of his death, because of his broken body, Lord, we have been transferred out of the kingdom of the enemy and into the kingdom of the Son you love. We have been turned from friends of Satan to friends of God, from enemies of God to enemies of the evil one. And Lord, all of this has happened because of the broken body of Jesus Christ. And so Lord, this morning, as we take this, we proclaim the Lord's death, that it's in and through his death that we have our only hope of salvation in this life, in the spiritual warfare in which we struggle against temptation, all we have is Jesus. But Lord, as we take this, we say, thanks be to God, Jesus is more than enough. Lord, we thank you for the broken body of Jesus Christ. Take and eat. Lord, as we hold up the cup, the cup that represents the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the covenant, the blood that has not only cleansed us from our sins, but has made us the blood-bought people of God so that every blessing you have is ours. For whatever promise you have given, they are all yes in Jesus Christ. And so we speak the amen to the glory of God. Father, and we profess this morning that every blessing you have is ours in Christ Jesus. Not because of our knowledge or our righteousness, but because we are the blood-bought people of God. And so, Lord, we give you thanks for the blood of Jesus Christ that has secured our salvation, that has given us an inheritance, that protects us every single day so that we can overcome the evil one by the blood of the Lamb. Father, we thank you for the powerful, spotless blood of Jesus Christ. Take and drink. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would fall fresh on us as your people. Lord, we have sang your praise this morning. We have gathered in prayer. We have tried to listen as the gifts of the Holy Spirit were moved. Lord, I have tried to unpack your word to the best of my ability. But Holy Spirit, what we need is for you to move and to fasten this to our hearts. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Spirit of the living God, would you open our eyes to know 
the inheritance we have, to know the power that is ours in Christ Jesus, the same power that was exerted, God, when you raised Jesus up and seated him in the heavenly realms, and when you raised us from the dead and seated us there with him, when you gave us every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ so that your wisdom would be displayed to the powers of evil there in those heavenly realms to show that you are so wise and you are so powerful that you can triumph over them through the cross, through Christ, in your church. Would you open our eyes to see that Holy Spirit? And I pray as we go forth this week, we would be strong in the might of the power of the Holy Spirit. That we would receive all of your gifts, all of your provisions, and therefore we would say, who is man? I will not fear. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, nothing else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Holy Spirit, work that in your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. As we stand, before I do the word of benediction, I'm going to actually read to you the final question in our catechism that we have as a church. And this is not my wisdom. This is actually Heidelberg question one. They did it to begin their catechism. We did it to end. I want you to hear what is yours in Jesus Christ. Knowing all these things, what is your only comfort in life, and in death, that I with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from the power of the devil, and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation. And therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready from this day forth to live unto him. That is yours in Jesus Christ. So now I speak a word of benediction to you. Receive God's blessing. God says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Whatever enemy would curse you, I will curse. And whoever blesses you, I will bless. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Go in the blessing and power of Jesus Christ. Amen. I look forward to seeing everyone on Friday night. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.